lecture fifteen part one of the groundwork of the christian virtues by william bernard ullathorne this librivox recording is in the public domain lecture fifteen on the schools of humility part one take fast hold of discipline leave her not keep her for she is thy life proverbs chapter four verse thirteen every science is founded upon certain fixed and unchangeable principles of truth and is guided by rules that spring from those principles the science of humility rests upon the knowledge of god and of oneself it fills the whole distance between the creature and the creator the giver of this science is god whose light descends into our interior and shows us what we are in his sight and what we ought to be but though divine in the origin of its light it is the most human of sciences inasmuch as it teaches us the knowledge of ourselves that most difficult knowledge which men are most reluctant to enter upon the fundamental facts of this science are the spiritual nature of man considered as he is made for god and god himself as he is the object and the end of man its principles arise from the subjective relations of the human soul to the light the grace and the bountiful providence of god humility not only implies a certain just truthful and reverential demeanour towards god and towards all that belongs to god but it is intimately concerned with the purification of the soul for which it is the essential disposition and preparation but the principle of this purification is the light and the grace of our divine redeemer who purifies the mind from error and delusion with an ever-growing light of faith and the heart from pride and sin with an ever-increasing grace proportioned to the increasing humility of the subject soul finally humility is the essential counterpart to that love of god to that sanctity of soul and wisdom of life of which the holy spirit is the animating principle hence the science of humility is profound descending as well as ascending beyond the sphere of human comprehension for the depths of the soul are unfathomable and the heights of god are unattainable in this day of probation we must therefore learn the great laws of humility from god who has sent us his son to teach them who is himself their great example and whose cross is lifted up as the beacon flame of his doctrine over the whole troubled sea of human life the rules that guide the science of humility spring from all the relations that ought in justice to exist between the soul and god the first of these relations is the absolute dependence of the creature on her creator the second is the relation of the intelligent image of god towards its divine original the third is the relation of justice which our divine redeemer has re-established by his grace between the fallen spirit of man and the sanctifying spirit of god the fourth is the relation of human subjection in all things to the divine power bounty and supremacy 
the fifth is the relation of utter need and want on the part of the soul towards her divine illuminator and provider who gives to all according to the measure of humility with which they own and confess their wants the sixth is the relation of humble self-surrender in reverential faith and love to him who is our everlasting good and the seventh is the relation of gratitude to him who has given to our native poverty all that we have there is one unrivalled master in every science and our lord jesus christ is the supreme master of humility but the science of humility is not humility the science only provides the knowledge and the rules for its exercise humility is a virtue and belongs to practice it is a divine art or discipline exercised in the deeper regions of the soul an athletic training of the soul to fundamental sincerity and just bearing towards god and herself and it implies three things abstention endurance and right action of the spiritual powers according to the best rules and examples by this discipline the soul is opened enlightened purified and invigorated to act with freedom in the gifts of god every art and system of discipline has its great schools which preserve its best traditions use its best methods produce its great examples and send forth its best teachers the more important and difficult the art or discipline the greater is the need of maintaining those schools for the general benefit as well as the advantage of their disciples but the most difficult of all human habits and exercises to understand thoroughly and acquire perfectly is that of humility and as the well-being of the soul depends on its acquirement it is the most important the church has therefore her great schools of humility in her monastical and religious institutions they may be properly called the schools of the beatitudes devoted as they are to the methodical cultivation of the divine counsels that were delivered to mankind by the son of god they are founded on the virtues of humility and charity their system of training is based upon humility and their discipline is perfected in the exercise of that virtue whose spirit pervades the beatitudes as it begins with the first of them and whose true disciples are the choice and privileged portion of the church of god clearly provided for in the gospel anticipated in the schools of the prophets and traceable in their principle to the apostolic times these schools of humility took definite shape form and expansion so soon as the church was freed from the pressure of heathen persecution they were perfected by men of great genius and high sanctity who reduced the maxims of the perfect life to system and rule and from these rules of discipline inspired by the genius of saints the great religious orders arose in the church in the earlier ages of christianity men and women of whom the world was not worthy in their love of god and of justice withdrew from the world as did the prophets and their disciples 
took refuge in solitary places and there under the direction of the wisest of their number obtained great lights on the interior ways of the soul and a vast experience in the best methods of subjecting the body to the soul and the soul to god the number of these ardent souls who in the fervent times of transition from paganism to christianity gave themselves wholly to god was very great and their profound experience in the ways of god in souls their shrewd maxims and heroic examples preserved with much care have been a great spiritual light to all subsequent ages then st basil arose to perfect the form of spiritual life in the east and st benedict in the west and their rules have been the models of religious discipline to all subsequent ages the religious life matured like all great things in solitude and silence after its vigorous and fervid youth had reached a matured constitution was henceforth called upon to do a great work in the church of god men trained in these schools of humility were placed on the episcopal thrones and even in the chair of peter and became fathers of the church and great authorities in the spiritual life monasteries spread over the desolated world and with their spiritual and corporate solidity encountered the barbarous tribes that overthrew the roman empire converted them to christianity and replaced the lost civilization of the old world with the new one based wholly on christian principles and the old pagan languages ceased to live that the new ones imbued with christian sense and sentiment might providentially take their place thus that spiritual force and discipline that had silently grown to maturity for ages abiding in the strength of its discipline reconquered the world to christ and the church in the thirteenth century when through a powerful combination of secular influences the ministry of the church had lost much of its spirit and energy the religious life arose in new forms and restored vigour to the church retaining the spirit and much of the letter of the old monastic discipline and fed on its traditions new orders arose in the church who evangelized the people in humility and poverty or devoted themselves to the revival of sacred learning these orders were fertile in saints as the old ones in their fervor had been and under their holy guidance many of all classes of the population took the way of perfect life and the third orders of these great schools of humility became the popular schools of sanctity in the sixteenth century when heretical desolation invaded the world in forms that struck at the foundation of all spiritual authority another combination of the monastical with the clerical life arose to reinvigorate the church in the various institutions of regular clerics of which the society of jesus was the most conspicuous they still however looked back to those earlier schools of humility to their spirit maxims and examples and still made humility and obedience the foundation of their discipline subjecting the whole of life to god 
hitherto the life of religious women had been wholly secluded from the world but in the seventeenth century st vincent of paul established the sisters of charity from which time the union of monastical discipline with every kind of active charity in the service of the poor sick and ignorant has taken a prodigious expansion among the devoted female sex through all these developments and expansions of the religious life there is growth sequence and adaptation suited to the requirements of the church as they arise under new conditions first the life given wholly to god was secluded that its inward spirit might be perfected and a vast experience might be accumulated of the best methods for the guidance of all the future then the rules of religious life were reduced by great and wise saints to what may be called their scientific perfection next at a time of great disorder and confusion the monasteries with their corporate strength and discipline were brought into action to missionarize the world and restore order and civilization when secular influences pervaded the church and wealth brought its many abuses the life of humility and self-sacrifice arose in a new form but still in corporate strength to evangelize the people and to perfect the science of theology in the dominican and franciscan orders and it is worthy of remark that each of them had special links with the old monastic order of st benedict when heresy struck at the foundations of faith and authority and the new learning was invented wherewith to put aside the ancient truth for the criticism of reason was absurdly applied to the authority of divine revelation st ignatius and the other saintly founders of the regular clerics united the old religious discipline of humility and obedience with a new order of training adapted to the apostolic life and the work of christian education and here again we find a close link between the new and the old which is thus expressed by father alvarez de paz one of the most eminent spiritual writers of the society of jesus st benedict the venerable patriarch of all holy religious is in a special way the holy father of our society for in his most observant monastery of our lady of montserrat our blessed father st ignatius passed from the service of the world to the service of christ it is also worthy of remark that that monastery at the time had a special system of spiritual exercises drawn up by a previous abbot the well-known cisneros although that of st ignatius has a special character of its own and he was the first to popularize the spiritual exercises the purpose of these historical observations is to show the unity of spirit and tradition which pervades the interior religious life from the earliest to the latest ages finally after the powers of the world had confiscated or destroyed the old catholic institutions and provisions for the poor as well as the monasteries at which they were helped and relieved after the principles of political economy had supplanted the principle of christian charity 
when money and the distinctions obtainable by money became the ruling passions of the world when the science of the wealth of nations became the ruling principle of state policy when systems of mechanical benevolence were substituted for personal charity when manufactures and commerce with their hard calculating ways opened a yawning gulf between the rich and the poor and the poor multiplied in numbers and in distress beyond all precedent then it was that the humble self-sacrificing life of religion took another shape and devout women of all ranks gave themselves to god in the severe and heroic life of humility united with active charity but all these forms of religious life however varied in their works rest on one and the same basis the three vows are the three forms of self-renunciation that tend to bring the soul to humility and charity the rules of the great orders from the third to the seventeenth century have been conveniently brought together in one code these we have carefully collated and with them not a few of more recent date and find them all tending in their chief spiritual provisions to one and the same end of discipline by the exercise of humility to secure the perfection of every christian virtue some have a greater and some a less profound apprehension of this spirit some have a milder and others a stronger discipline but all have the one aim of subjecting the soul to god with constant reverence and self-sacrifice but what is striking in all these orders and institutes when we come to examine their spiritual manuals is the uniform disposition to look back to the maxims and examples bequeathed by the earlier monastic life as most valuable helps in forming the religious life and spirit thus the fathers of the desert still instruct the religious of both sexes who are combating the evils of the modern world if we consider the instruments of religious discipline poverty gives freedom by removing the world and its concupiscences from the soul purity gives force and elevation to the soul obedience destroys self-will which is the root of all sin everything receives dignity from its reference to god obedience and prayer are direct and immediate exercises of humility whilst purity of life gives them holiness for obedience subjects the will to god through the voice of the rule and the superior nor is this a capricious authority or obedience for all is constitutionally regulated nor can that constitution be changed even in its details without the voice of the governed as well as the voice of authority prayer is the subjection of the soul to god in adoration supplication and gratitude everywhere within the church of god humility is exercised for there can neither be charity nor hope nor faith without this virtue but there are as many degrees of humility as of sanctity and as some persons by their natural gifts become skilful artists without the help of schools so there are not a few souls who through fidelity to the special help of god 
obtain a good degree of humility and sanctity without the training of religious life for the grace of god is not bound and sanctity belongs to all states of life that god has ordained yet always on the same foundation of humility but when we would learn the higher degrees of its perfection we naturally go to its great schools or listen to its wisest teachers cassian repeats their instructions when he tells us that the first way to humility is to keep the commandments of god for this is to subject the will to his eternal law then come the divine beatitudes and counsels of christ which perfect the subjection of the soul to god to see this we have only to enumerate them for they are poverty of spirit meekness the mourning over evil and over our distance from god the hungering and thirsting after justice mercifulness cleanness of heart peacemaking and the suffering of persecution for justice sake those are nearest to christ who lead a life of poverty detachment from the body and obedience and the next are they who though engaged in the secular life use the world as though they used it not let us hear the great patriarch of oriental monachism demonstrating how all we have lost through pride is recovered by humility st basil says if man had but remained in the glory he first received from god he would have had a true instead of a fictitious elevation the divine power would have made him apt for this the divine wisdom would have enlightened him and he would have delighted in eternal life and all its good but when he hurried in the quest of something better that could not be he gave up the desire of divine glory and lost what he might have had we can now only recover the ground of our salvation the healing of our maladies and the return to our first state by being humble not by inventing a glory for ourselves but by seeking the glory of god we shall thus be corrected in what we have erred be healed in what we are infirm and return to the sacred precepts we had left after proving this at length from the scriptures the great founder of the religious life asks how are we to get rid of the tumour of pride and come to this health restoring humility if we exercise ourselves in those things that express humility and guard against everything whereby we may encounter loss for the soul becomes like her pursuits and exercises and is formed and shaped to what she does in his rule he replies to the questions what is humility how is it gained it is to account all others better than yourself according to the apostolic injunction and it is gained by reflecting in the first place on the lord's command learn of me for i am meek and humble of heart and in giving faith to the words that he who humbleth himself shall be exalted and in giving yourself a steady and determined will to the exercise of humility in whatever you are doing for what is true of the arts is true of this virtue thinking will not gain it without practice 
three more pithy sentences may be added from this father the progress of the soul is the progress of humility the knowledge of piety is the knowledge of humility and meekness humility is the emulation of christ should some reader be inclined to think that these fundamental truths are too often repeated though in different forms he must be requested to reflect on the difference between entertaining the mind and teaching the most difficult of all sciences and in the following sentences of father tanner the carthusian he will find the grave reason for this method to reach our object usefully and compendiously we must search after the springs from which this excelling virtue flows if we come often to them and by reading and reflecting make them familiar to our mind we shall find humility itself flowing little by little into our soul and then we shall not neglect to exert ourselves in those acts of humility which the virtue demands if there be a stubborn error that is wilfully blind in this sensual world so ignorant of its own sensuality it must be in the professing not to know how the humiliation of the body can contribute to the humility of the soul for this is in direct contradiction to the world's own practice which in its corrections its revenges and its administration of justice is constantly afflicting the body to humble and amend the soul he who has never much reflected on the action of body on soul and soul on body knows little if anything of the discipline of human nature and still less of the nature of self-discipline on this subject the shrewd saint dorotheus has some very pertinent remarks how he asks is humility of heart obtained through bodily labours what has corporal labour to do with planting habits and affections in the soul i will tell you after the unhappy soul had fallen from her good estate through transgressing god's commandment she was given up to various delights and to all the concupiscences and was left to her own will and judgment however erroneous they might be she then began to love corporal and material things and became in a manner corporal and carnal as god said in the scripture my spirit shall not remain in man for ever because he is flesh for the soul is moved and affected according to what is done and felt in the body hence an old man among us used to say that corporal labour leads straight to humility for the soul is moved and affected one way in health and another in sickness one way in hunger and another when the body is filled with food the man who rides a horse feels very differently from the man who plods along on an ass and he who sits on a throne has a disposition of soul altogether different from him who sits on the ground he who is clothed in soft beautiful and precious garments cannot feel like the man who is begirt with rags and patches labour humiliates the body and brings down its pride and when the body is humiliated the soul is humbled so the old man justly said 
that bodily labour brings the soul to humility and humility frees the man from the greatest evils and protects him from many and great temptations end of lecture fifteen part one